Paul. I think names do fly by. Uh, here we go. So some of you were here last week and we had the same reading, so we got stuck in the middle. So we've got to get to the end today, talking about Pergamum. Well, we're not going to talk much about Pergamum. Uh, talk about God and us. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah. If you're online, hi. Got <laughs> it? Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a title up there Church in Pergamum. Remaining in repentance overcomes. You know, I, I play with titles a lot, and then we'll just forget it when we get into the middle of the message. Uh, but this is about repentance. We read the word. We're going to read them again in a moment. And uh, repentance. Repentance. I don't know. Most of you may have heard of that word before. Uh, you ever thought of repentance as a place? That is, I come into repentance and I remain. I'm always in a state of thinking, it's not me, it's him. It's not my will, it's his will. It's not my way, it's his way. Referring to God, that is. Uh, Come into repentance and remain. So we just took a big jump into the middle. Yeah, so so let's get into it. I'm going to read these verses again, and we're going to read them again. And as we read them again, I'd like you to consider where do you see a place in there if this was being written specifically to you. He didn't write to the saints in Pergamum. He wrote to the saint called, and you can put your name there. What would be some responsibilities that fall on you and I from these words that are written? We read the scripture to see Jesus, to see God, and to see how he wants to work with us. So let's read it again and see if we can find some responsibilities that fall on us. Am I going here? No, I'm on. Here we go. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, right. These things, says he, who has the sharp, two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Anyone got any responsibilities marked off down in your mind there uh, yet? I have a few things against you. You ever thought that God might speak like that to us sometimes? You're doing okay here, but over there. (laughs) I have a few things against you. You know why it's against him? Because the thing, why he's saying we have something against him? Because probably because the thing we have is against him, is resisting him. Anyway, back to the word. 
because you have those who hold. Did you notice before he, he said, I know, you know, you hold fast to my name. You have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Everyone's got that sorted. <laughs> to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. You also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So, anyone come up with some responsibilities you have? Anyone want a volunteer one? Come on, come yell it out here. To hold fast. Who's going to hold fast? Us. Me. You. Yeah. To have an ear. To listen. Well, you have an ear. Yeah, to listen. What is the Spirit saying? What a change for, for, for when I started, when it was, what can I figure out? So actually, what is the Spirit saying? Has anyone got something else? Yeah, follow? Be discerning about who you listen to. Yeah. Yeah, that's simplicity in there. You've got a big explicit one that no one's pulled out yet. Repent. Who repents? There's a responsibility there. You ever wondered uh, where grace comes? It's, like, it's one thing to know that God loves you. It's another thing to repent into God's love. So the fact that God loves me is meaningless to me. Not meaningless. It's not bringing any good in my life. It may be protecting me some things that might want to hurt me, but it's not bringing good into me until I repent into God's love. That is, I turn from looking everywhere else and think, I'm going to respond to God the way he told me to respond to him. It, it's a simple picture, isn't it? So we're going to uh, dig into this, and we're going to uh, start at the end and then uh, jump into the middle and then go back to the end. So we've got this verse at the end. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're going through seven letters. This phrase is in every letter. So, so this is significant. It's what, who are we listening to is, is important. And, and, and frankly, I don't want to do anything in the name of Jesus on earth if God hasn't already, isn't saying it. I don't want to you know, try and build something on good ideas. Uh, I've done a bit of that. And, and sometimes I thought the good ideas were God, and sometimes they might have been, and sometimes they weren't. But we really do want to say, God, 
What are you saying? Because God works with people. And he speaks into our hearts. And he leads us by a spirit. And out of that, he gets stuff done on earth. Uh, Reading on, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone and and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So you would have noticed if you've read these uh, seven letters that at the end of each one, there's a, a different, I will give him. There's a different sense of God's goodness and blessing. And, and this one is a hidden manner and a white stone. So, so frankly, if we're going to go back and look at repent, we've got to grasp that we're after something here. God doesn't say, just repent because I want you to repent. He's saying, repent because I actually want to give you something. I have something for you. And it's waiting for you to repent so that you can receive it. And here he describes it as hidden manna. Anyone want some hidden manna? You're after something today. Yeah. What is hidden manna? Well, I'm not exactly sure. But I think it might have something to do with Jesus. And I think it might have something to do with what he said in John 6. And in John 6 he says, I am the bread of life. Basically, he says, if you come to me and you eat what I am, you're going to have everything you need. He started off that um, passage by saying, do not just work for the food that spoils, but work for that food, that bread that has eternal effect. He's echoing Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, I think it is, or 3 and 4, when it says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying there's something that he wants to give you that's going to be life to you. It's a hidden manna. Without repentance, you won't find it. Without seeking, you won't find it. He goes on in that passage in John 6, it's quite a long passage, but just some highlights. One part he starts saying, you know, as God through Moses brought manna, to your fathers when they were going through the wilderness. So I am come down from heaven to be like bread, like Moses brought manna, but you've now got me. And if you eat, this is what gets us confused, eh? Uh, my body and drink my blood. What did he do with his body? He lived on earth with an unwavering holding fast to his Father in heaven. Faithfulness. You've got to eat of his faithfulness. Eat of the way he lived in his body. And what did he do with it? He said, drink my blood. What did he do with his blood? His blood, his life poured out for many. The love of God poured out, flowing to reach people, you and I. So we drink of his love. It's not, um, and as I said, there's a hidden manner there. And of course, people were confused, as we get a bit at times. And, uh, and he said to them when they asked him to explain, this is, this is where you find Jesus, you know, so nice. He says, you know, your flesh is useless. You, you're useless at knowing the things of God. 
If you start with you, you'll never find it. But my words are spirit and they are life. There's a hidden manner that when we come into repentance, we start to find his words start speaking to our innermost being, often before our mind is fully grasping the understanding. Hidden man. God wants you to have this hidden manner. Holy Spirit is here this morning to bring the word of God into our innermost being and, and for it to come alive in us and it to actually be a sense of life in us that we, that we are aware of. Hidden manner. Hidden manner. That we can receive something from God through his word that brings some life into our person. It can be joy, it can be hope, it can be love, it can be peace, it can be purpose. You'll find it can speak to the place you're in in life and just bring a sense of life to it. This is, this is, this is what we're after. We're after something. Hidden manner. He also says, I, I've got a white stone for you. And, uh, and, and you might know what that means. And I just read something on Google. You can do the same. Uh, but anyway, so, so a white stone in their day, because it would have been a bit like getting a New Year's Honours Award today in New Zealand anyway, depending on what country background you have. And uh, we had a friend, Grace and I, who got a New Year's Award. Uh, he lives up in Auckland for service to the community. So what would happen is a white stone would be given to you at a at sort of an award ceremony as someone who people want to honour and value and exalt and lift up and, you know, you're special for these reasons. But not only would they get a white stone with some form of new name written on it that God says you get. And so what's that new name? It's how he sees you. That's about the best I can do on that. Uh, but it, what happens is they tell your story. So your story gets told. Your testimony gets told. You know, other people are telling your story, so you're being uplifted, praised. Can you imagine Jesus, I'm going to give you a white stone. What he says is, he's saying is, when you come to be with me in heaven, I'm going to stand there and I'm going to tell your story of trust in me and faithfulness to me and walking with me and overcoming in me and holding fast to me. I'm going to tell it into eternity to all those saints who have lived through all time and all those angels and all those devils hiding in the corners, probably a bit further away, but you know, I'm going to tell it. Your story of your faithfulness. Wouldn't that be an incredible experience? That's what he wants to do. This is what God's after. That he can tell our story and before all eternity as a person who just trusted him, listened to him, lived as one with him, and went through some trying times and hold him fast. We're after something when we talk about these words like repentance that come across a bit hard and heavy. We're after something. And uh, I want to keep the eye on the target sometimes. So I want to jump into the middle and, and just read, uh, I think there's two verses there. And we're going to ask ourselves a question 
about what they're about. Nevertheless, he said, I have a few things against you. I want you to have this in a manner, and I want you to have this white stone. I'm really waiting to give it to you. I've sent my Holy Spirit to deliver it into your heart and to work it out in you. I've paid for it with my blood. I really, really want you to have it. But I've got a few things against you that are keeping you from getting it. I want you to live every day just knowing the love of God is enough for you. But, but, but there's a few things you've got in your way that are keeping you from knowing it. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You notice it wasn't everybody in the church in that place. Imagine showing up in Pergamus or Pergamum and looking for the church at about 90, let's say 93 AD. This is probably somewhere between 90 and 94 or 5. We can't be super precise, but it's in that period, AD. So it's a while ago. And uh, quite a few things that were a while ago. That, yeah. and, and you're looking for the church. So you show up at Pergamon and think, oh, got to go find church. Sunday, it's the Lord's Day. Somewhere there'll be Christians gathering. And so you get the internet. Oh, no internet. Oh, newspaper, look for the newspaper. They might have had some way of putting some news up, but no list of churches in a newspaper anywhere. Um, look for a building, no building. Look for some signs, no signs. Oh, there might have been a sign. You might have gone by somebody's business and they had a little mark up, like a, some little symbol that gave you a hint that they were Christian. But it wouldn't have been on a placard for the whole world to see would have just been discreetly somewhere. You would have had to start asking, excuse me, do you, do you know if there's any Christians in the city? Any followers of the way of Jesus? And every time you asked, you were taking a risk. Yeah, it's a bit different from today, isn't it? Um, anyway, though, a bit different. So, so they, he, says, he says to the whole group, I have a few things against you because there are some among you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Numbers 22 to 25 tells that story. Likewise, you also have some who hold to the teaching of of the Nicolaitans. Uh, just a, a quick interesting thing, the word Balaam and Nicolaitans can both mean the same thing. So the word Nicolaitans, for instance, is, is the word Nico, it has to do with victory, Nike, um, and the word Latians from a word like Laos, meaning the people, it means someone's ruling over the people. And, and the word Balaam can mean the same thing from the two parts. We're talking about a place where he said is Satan's throne, the ruling over of the people. And uh, won't go there. Nicholas, uh, the Nicolaitans came from a guy called Nicholas, and you read about him in Acts chapter 6, when they appointed seven deacons, and one of them was Nicholas. And his followers, he, he came up with a different view of how the gospel worked. And, and it said that Nicholas and his followers were those who had no limit to the impulsive, uh, their impulsiveness of doing things, you know, chasing after 
eating and just carelessness. I think some people would call it like they believed. No matter what they did, God's grace was there for them. So they might as well just do what they wanted. You know, they didn't believe that they had a responsibility to remain somewhere in God. Anyway, so they just followed their own thing. So we'll dig into these guys. We're going to read Jude, two verses in Jude. And we're going to ask ourselves and look at four different people because the two go to four when we get to Jude. They give us a picture of the sort of thing God was saying to them to repent of. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. If you've read the New Testament, you might notice that regularly it seems to talk about some people who get part of the church who are bringing a different teaching about Jesus. They talked about the same Jesus, but it has a different practice. And, and again, there's this continual uh, warning around this. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our daily sovereign and Lord. They weren't walking in and saying, it's not Jesus, I'm going on, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, we can do exactly what we want when we want. They weren't denying him with their mouths. They were denying him with their practice. I know, you know it's... Uh, you yeah, those people who keep talking like they really, really like you, but keep acting like they don't? <laughs> um, yeah. And then in verse 11, it's the same conversation. I just went from the start to the end, pulled out the middle for the sake of this morning. So these are the ones. When he says woe to them in verse 11, he's talking about these certain people. Woe to them. They've taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Hence the connection to what we read in, in the church of Pergamos. We read the Bible to see the Bible. And they have been destroyed in Korah's, or I don't know, Korah's rebellion. So we've gone from Balaam and the Nicolaitans to Balaam, Korah, Cain, and the Nicolaitans. Is that, is that fair? It's the same story. And we just see it unpacked. So we, God has said there's things to repent of. And repent means there's a change of mind. And the heart of our change of mind isn't, I thought that one plus one was two, but now I see that one plus three is two. That's absurd, I know, but it's not that so much as, I thought that I was right, but now I know God is right. I thought that I knew how to live my life, but now I know God is, is the one who knows how I live my life. I thought I could figure out myself, but now I know I need God to figure to tell me who I am. It's actually repentance of the source of truth, of the orientation of the heart of it, not just at the change my mind about this. Like when I pick on Grace and I, uh, probably way back a few years ago, 82 or somewhere, uh, <laughs> we'd been married months. And, and uh, so I left towels in the bedroom after using them on the floor. Yeah, I was planning for someone to pick them up at some stage. Anyway, and Grace said, that's not good enough. 
I had to repent of my practice. So that's part of it. But the repentance has got to go deeper. Or we'll just be a bunch of legalists. And God's not after that. He wants your heart. So, so Cain. Got a few minutes on Cain. Get shorter as we go. A few minutes on Cain. So you know the story of Cain is in Genesis 4. So he's saying that the way of Balaam is similar to the way of Cain. The way of the Nicolaitans and Balaam, Korah, Cain. And so, so the picture we have of Cain is Cain and Abel are the sons of Adam and Eve. We get real, not much detail here. And they both bring offerings to God. Cain's the oldest, Abel's the next. It's significant that Cain's the oldest. Uh, it's like Eve saw him as the man. And, uh, you know, God had said she was going to have a son who was going to get her out of her mess. And it's, um, there's, there's infants in the way it's written uh, that, that she saw Cain like this. I've got him. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, I've had a son. It's like, I've got him. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that might have something to do with the story. So we've got these two brothers, and one looks after sheep, and one grows veggies, and they're both to bring an offering to God. And so when he gets around to it, well, maybe at the end of the year, when everything else was done, Cain brought an offering to God. And it wasn't, it wasn't seen with favor. There was no connection created between him and God. But when he got his first lambs, the first of the new season's harvest, before there was a second, Abel brought his first fruits to God as an offering. And it created a connection. So we have two brothers both bring an offering, but they get different results with God. And for years I used to think that was primarily about, well, it's a lamb, it's got blood in it, and God, you know, talks a lot about blood offerings. And, and no, no, I, I think it has more to do with the, how they brought it than the what it was, which is what I emphasized when I said it. It says, in the course of time, depending on what version you read, Cain brought an offering. That could mean when he got around to it, or it could mean at the end of the period of time. So there's a sense of, Cain did this as it suited him. Cain did his offering. Maybe, maybe he saw Abel doing, oh, yeah, I'll get around to it when it's convenient. I'll, I'll sort of follow God as it works for me. But Abel, the first fruits. This is going back to the church in Ephesus, isn't it? Come on, return to your first love. And so this, this is about, Abel's got faith in his offering. Cain doesn't. And so there's no connection for Cain. And he gets angry at this. He, he seems to be aware that there's something different going on between God and Abel and him and God. I, I, I just think it's intriguing how much is not said in that story. And, uh, and, and so he's angry and, and he's getting all stirred up. And then God comes along and says this to him. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? This is the anger of, anger of jealousy, the anger of envy, the anger of, I'm not getting what I want. 
Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now that implies that God knew that Cain knew that he what he should be doing. Doesn't spell it out, but it's definitely implied, isn't it? So, so we've got to say that, that Cain knew what he should be doing, but he wasn't doing it. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This is, this, is, this is what he's saying when he's saying repent in Pergamon. He's saying the same thing that he's saying to Cain. Cain, repent. Repent. Don't allow your impulsive, instinctive things going on in your life to dictate your behavior. You're not an animal, Cain. You're created to be like me. Don't let your instincts rule over you, but let your choice lead your life, rule over your life. It's very similar to the story of Adam and Eve and, and a tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were meant to be led by the Spirit in relationship with God who is Spirit, but now they choose, oh, we'll just be led by ourselves. See, animals all have instincts, and God gave them those instincts. So there's a way that all those animals are being, you know, serving God through their instincts. But people aren't meant to be like that. We're meant to know God by his spirit. We all know this inherently. That there's a vast difference. And so he's saying to Cain, repent. Don't, don't let your instincts and impulsiveness rule over you. Don't act like an animal. Act like a man who has God with him. Repent. And of course, we know that Cain didn't. And he got with his brother and he killed his brother and he ended up, you know, sent away. So going on. So you've got a verse here. Oh, right up in there. Cain, repent and turn from following your instincts and trust God. That's what he's saying in Hergamon. That's what he's saying to you today, to me. Repent from following your instinct and trust God's love. Look at these verses in Galatians 5. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Can you see the story of Cain in these verses? Come on, Cain. Walk with the words I've given you, says God, by your Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your, your flesh just to impulsively take it out on your brother. Isn't it like that? Eh? You know, we get all stirred up now. We look for someone to take it out on. Um, sometimes we're not even looking for them. We just come across them and boom, they get it. Uh, it's not good. Repent, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. You can see that with Cain as well. Come on, he says, don't let these desires rule over you. Sin is crouching at your door. They are in conflict with each other. 
so that you are not to do whatever you want. They could just say, whatever you feel like. What are you meant to do? You're meant to do what the Spirit is saying. How do you find out what the Spirit is saying? You read a lot of Bible. You meditate on the Word of God. You get to know Jesus. You hang around people who do know how to live in the Spirit a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more. Repent of your flesh so you can follow the Spirit. When you repent, when I repent, I'm always leaving something to enter something. I'm putting something down to pick something else up. I'm turning my back on one thing to turn my face to another. It, it's always got a, a double action involved. I'm saying no to this to say yes to that. No to me, yes to God. No to my flesh, yes to the Holy Spirit. It, there's, a, there's a double action involved. There, there's no way forward without repentance in God. There's no way into faith without repentance. There's no way into grace without repentance. Because to come into something new, I've got to, I've got to leave the other thing I was hanging on to in its place. So we're going to move on and just quickly go through these other three. And it's a similar story, but it, with you know, different inflections. Korah, number 16. Uh, Korah was like a, a junior leader in the house of Israel, one of the Levites. He had some important things he had been given to do for God. But Korah, he decided, actually, I'm as good as Moses. Moses was the leader God had appointed. As he gathered 250 other young leaders, maybe they were older, it doesn't say it age, 250 chiefs from among the people that there's in you know, uh, the English Standard Version, it calls them chiefs, and they come up to Moses and say, who are you to be the one leading us all? We're all, you know, we're all holy before God. We've all got what it takes to lead. You know, don't tell you. Know, that just sounds like entitlement. It just sounds like pride. It just sounds like I'm after a position. I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. Sounds like a lot of uh, modern society. Uh, and he, there's some things that he's completely not even seeing here. One, he's not seeing that Moses did not put himself in that position. Moses could just say, well, I'll step aside, which is pretty much what he did do, and leave it between you and God and see what happens. Because uh, if you haven't put yourself in a position, you don't have to defend yourself. I remember Grace did a course and, um, and they had an oral examination at the end of it, and it was a church-based study course. And what that question I asked you, what would you say? How would you defend yourself if someone asked you, why should you as a woman be in you know, ministry, like, not she. And I was sitting there, I said, no, she doesn't have to in our church ever defend herself for any role of ministry she has because she won't have put herself there. If you haven't put yourself there, you don't have to defend yourself. If you know God has put you there, just step aside when someone's got an opinion and so just take it up with God, please. I mean, I'm serious here, hey? See, Moses was appointed by God. So Korah's saying, who are you? He says, well, I didn't come here because I wanted the position. You are after the position. 
but I'm here because God put me here. And he was a reluctant leader. And you know the story, some of you. He came up with excuse after excuse after excuse as to why he shouldn't do this. And he said, look, that's not my strength. I don't have those strengths anymore. Oh, God, I don't know that's my strength. No, I'll do it anyway. I'll be with you. No, I tried that once and I failed, so I can't be the way God works in my life. No, I'll do it anyway because I'll be with you. He just came up with excuse after excuse from how he understood himself as to why he couldn't do this thing God had come to do. And God just, just pushed them all aside. He says, I'll be with you. One answer for all of them. Uh, yeah, that's repentance. Moses was repenting when he walked down to see Pharaoh because God had sent him after God just pushed aside all his excuses. What's he doing? He's repenting. Leaving behind his excuses, stepping into the call of God. Turning from one thing to another. Not trusting what he saw in the mirror, trusting what he saw in the heavenlies. That's what repentance is about. So, so Korah and his guys all died. Moses stepped aside, left them to God. He, he sorted them out. That's a serious thing to have a go. Balaam is a big one. He's only big because you know, it's in both stories. And uh, we need to quickly... Oh, anyway. Balaam... He, he was a prophet, probably not a godly prophet, it's like a spiritual guy, maybe like a, he used to, it says about him, who he blessed was blessed, who he cursed was cursed. So this king Barak from the Moabites got Balaam to come and, and try and curse the Israelites because he was afraid of fighting them in a head-on battle. And so Balaam did this four times and nothing happened. And then it seems that he gets the credit for this. doesn't say it in Numbers 24, 25, but it does say it in Numbers 31, and it does say it in uh, Jude, and it does say it in Revelation, that after this, the Moabites did something different. Instead of arraying their army before the Israelites to stop them coming in, they sent out their women and their food, and they set up a party. And the Israelites... Some of them started joining the party, hence the immorality. And they started to undermine the power of the Israelites and their faith in God. And uh, a sickness broke out amongst the Israelites because of their compromise. And 24,000 died, and there's a big part of the story. So this thing of, this, this thing of Balaam is compromise. Instead of, you imagine Antipas, when he was martyred, he was facing persecution, hard out, walled army in front of him. It's sometimes really easy to stand when it's really straight in your face. Stuff. But, but the subtle things, the subtle things that erode our faith in God, the little compromise here and the little compromise there and the little compromise over there and and the little one over here, oh, God still loves me. I sort of can get away with this, and God is patient. But patience should not be mistaken as permission. But he's is patient. And, and God still loves me. Yeah, he still loves you, but you seem to be abandoning it. You're not remaining in it. Those are two different things, aren't they? That's what we're learning. I have a responsibility towards the love of God. And so Balaam is, is this one who, who is credited with this plan to undermine the people of God by compromise, by, by you, know, you can say in the day, uh, with just the pleasures of this world. 
in the wrong way, in the wrong place. And so it's repent. Repent is the word for them there. And then in the Nicolaitans were Balaam's people repeated in a modern way. So we see there's this, there's this work goes on. We, yeah, just repent. One word. <laughs> we said a bit about it. There's things we have to leave behind to enter into something else. There's thoughts we have to leave behind if you want a new mind. There's attitudes you've got to leave behind if you want the attitudes of God. There's affections we have to leave behind if we want the love of God to fill our lives. Repent. It's not a, a barrier to get past. It's not a work to achieve. It's the process of leaving one thing to enter another thing, leaving a life centered on myself to lean into a life that's all about Jesus. Repent, he says, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Mike, do you want to come on up and get yourself sorted? Yeah. So we're going to have communion in a couple of moments. And when we come to communion, we're going all the way back to the hidden manna. And we're saying, God, I'm coming to Jesus. But if I'm going to eat Jesus as the one who gives me life, I'm also turning away from those other things. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm guessing that different ones of us will be thinking of things that God's saying, just leave that, let it go. Let that go. You know, the, the wonderful thing I've found is I choose to repent, but he does the work of cutting it away. He does the work of, of creating the new. But I've got a responsibility. And if I want to grow in faith, I have to start with repentance. If I want to live in grace, I start with repentance. If I want to live in the love of God and remain in the love of God, I remain in repentance. If I want to grow and, and, and all the things the Bible says should be happening in my life, I better remain in repentance, turning to him, looking to him, trusting all those things. Repent. I've got one scripture as we come, as we, uh, what we're going to do here is, as we finish in a moment, Mike's got some songs, we're going to worship. But as we worship, we're, we're going to go over, we're going to take communion. And some of you know this, it's, how it just, it's going to be casual. Uh, you can do it in your own timing and, uh, and just take a moment with God. But before that, I'll read this verse and we'll pray. But please, this is a time of repentance. Just take it seriously. God, what is it you're calling me to turn away from? To let go of? to ask for forgiveness for. Forgiveness just clears the way so then I can repent. <laughs> they sort of go together, eh? But, but uh, repentance means I put something down to pick something up. And remember, God disciplines those he loves. 
So if it's been a while since you've had anything to repent of, get concerned. God, don't you love me anymore? Well, am I perfect? Those are the only two options. So if you aren't perfect yet, there's repentance. There's repentance that sort of oh, gets into the, into the walk. And there's the repentance that just keeps sharpening the edge. Amen. Here's these verses. Then he said to them, well, whoever <clears throat> wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. We turn from one thing to another thing in repentance. We leave something behind. We pick up something. Must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Daily repentance and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. But let's stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to take communion. And you get to have your own uh, interaction with God. Repent, uh, he says. Therefore, repent. Therefore, let go of these things. Therefore, take a hold of Jesus. It's hard to hold on to two things, isn't it, yo? Hard to walk following two people when they're going in different directions. Uh, Father God, we pray you'd work amongst us, Holy Spirit. We pray you would lead us to be those who are just learning to live in that, that place of denying ourselves and taking up the cross of Jesus daily. Repentance daily. Faith daily. Finding hidden manna daily. Aiming for that white stone daily. Help us each this morning to just hear your voice and respond with repentance. It says, not what I think, God, but what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for the blood and the body of Jesus represented in these uh, bread and this cup. Thank you we can come again to take of this and repent again and receive afresh you. Man, I just got to give you one more thought. There's no repentance without getting something. If I repent of what I was and turn to God, I'm now getting, coming into what he's got. You get what I mean? It's, it's I'm, yeah, anyway, so expect to receive. Respect the love of God to work in your life. Expect the Holy Spirit to do something new within you. Expect what he says to be working in us. Amen.